0: Good morning and welcome to Urine Baptist Church. I'm reading from Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 9 in NIV, and here's what it says. It says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teachings the islands will put their hope. This is what God, the Lord, says, the creator of heavens, who stretches him out, who spreads them out of the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See the former things that have taken place. And new things I declare, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. So far the reading of the word? Uh, Isaiah, the
1: great, uh, the great prophet, um, with lofty language, um, has much to say about Jesus Christ. And uh, the prophecy today is about Jesus Christ. And embedded in the book of Isaiah a collection of his sermons most of it is in poetry uh, this is one of those uh, poems uh, talking about Jesus and there are four what we call servant songs and they are songs about a coming servant who is going to deliver God's people and is going to enact God's program and uh, I think all those servant songs are talking about Jesus. Starts at 42. That's one of them, verses 1 through 9, one of the servant songs. The greatest one is, of course, Isaiah 52, uh, verses 13 through Isaiah 53, 12. That, uh, that those 15 verses, just wonderful uh, promises and predictions of Jesus Christ and how he will, he will take our sin and he will bear our sin Uh, But all of these are wonderful, so as we look at the uh, Isaiah this summer, uh, selected texts, I felt we had to look at some of the servant songs, and especially today, Isaiah 42. I remind you that Hebrew poetry rhymes ideas, two major ideas with poetry, one is the rhyming of ideas, and the second is the use of figures of speech. So you cannot read poetry quickly, you have to read it slowly, you have to think about what it's saying, you have to think about the figures, and then you have to break down those figures as to, as to what they mean. Um, I'm going to do it today in Isaiah 42. I expect you to do this every time you read your Old Testament, the Psalms or Isaiah. Uh, so I'm trying to model what I think you should do as you read the scriptures for yourself. Um, first of all, God's servant will succeed. God's servant will succeed, verses 1 through 4. Notice verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. Now let's just stop right there think about it for a second. I call this the servants chosen by God. Here is my servant whom I, whom I uphold. Or another way to say that, my chosen one in whom I delight. There's a little bit of advancement on the first. First of all, you see, when he says, my servant whom I uphold, he's going to tell you how he feels about that. He's excited. The Lord loves it, and he loves this servant. And you notice he's not just the servant, this is his chosen one. He had a choice, and this is the one. Of course, we know that he doesn't really have a choice. Jesus is unique. Here he is. This is the one. Um, He says, my servant, because he's going to do exactly what he wants, and he's going to accomplish the task. And the importance of the servant, of course, relates to the person who calls him. So the servant is incredibly important. Notice my servant. He's claiming him. This is the one I want. I uphold him and I take hold of him. Got my hands on him. He's not a lone ranger. God and the servants are in this together. And he, he then advances that. My chosen one in whom I delight. My chosen one in whom I delight. God chooses this person. It's exactly who he wants. I remember in grade five in, in, in elementary school And we would go out for recess. And every recess, we played kickball. And every recess, we chose teams. And the best two players always chose the teams. And it wasn't me. But at least I always got chosen. And so I felt good. You know how when you choose teams like that, there's always one person nobody wants. How wonderful it is to be chosen. God chooses. And he tells us what he... What he feels about that. He is delighted and he is thrilled. He gets great pleasure and joy in who the servant is and what the servant does. Who is the servant? And there are many possibilities. One possibility is the nation Israel. But of course Israel never fulfills its destiny, its mission. One possibility is Cyrus, and Cyrus is a servant of God in the book of Isaiah to bring about God's purposes to deliver his people. But Cyrus is a mean tyrant. And you will see that that can't be who this is talking about. I think the only possible only possible fulfillment, the only person this can be talking about is Jesus Christ. And that's stunning. This is written in 700 B.C. 700 B.C., and he's writing about someone in the future that he is going to use to accomplish his purposes on the earth. It's not a mistake that at the baptism of Jesus, a voice comes down from heaven, and the voice says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And then at the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus is transfigured before them. Peter doesn't know what to say. Moses and Elijah are there. Peter goes, let us build three booths so that we can can linger here. But the voice comes from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus Christ is this servant that God is excited about, he loves, he delights in him, he, he, he enjoys everything that he does and he says. Notice next, the servant's empowered by God. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Places my, I will place my spirit on him in this verse. We see the Trinity at work. One being in three persons working together to accomplish the plan. Ultimately, the plan of salvation. And the gospel writer of Luke picks this up. The gospel writer Luke picks this up as he speaks of the work of the spirit in the life of Jesus Christ. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus says, that applies to me. And because of that, he will succeed and bring forth justice to the nations justice is the right ordering of society. Justice is when what is right and good is the basis of society. It's promoted in society, and it's accomplished in people's lives. And he doesn't just bring justice to one place. He brings justice to the nations. I used to read this, and I used to think we don't need justice. We kind of already have it, and I was wrong. (laughs) just read an article two weeks ago. And this was uh, it was from uh, Fellowship Head Office. Fellowship Head Office sent an, art- an article about slaves in India being released, and it had a picture of the slave. And uh, what had happened is he had run into debt for a few dollars, and so these the, this this business that cut wood for a for a, for a business enslaved him and his family and many others for years. And for years they had enslaved these people and made them work all day, fed them food, and then made them work all day. They never paid off their debt. And so they showed this man being released and how happy he was. And if you looked at him, he was skeletal. His arms were about this big around and his legs were that big around. Just mistreated. That's justice. In the movie Selma, about the civil rights march in Alabama, they show a black woman who wants to vote. And before she can register, she has to tell how many counties there are. She knows the answer and gives the answer. Then she's asked... Who are all the key elected officials in each county in Alabama? Of course, she does not know. So she cannot register. And so blacks could not vote in the state of Alabama. Now, that's that's in my lifetime. It's unbelievable that people could be treated that way. No justice. Of course, they wanted it that way because that way blacks could not serve on juries. They could not be elected to government positions. They could not serve as the sheriff of the county. And that was just the 60s, not that long ago. That's injustice. In our nation, if a Christian medical doctor does not refer a patient to another medical doctor so that they can end their life, they could lose their medical license. That's not justice, and it's not right. I love it that the hospice in town, St. Joseph's Hospice, will not allow you to stay there if you want to terminate your life. They'll make you leave. And if you ask them to help them help you terminate your life, they will say, no, we can't do that. You have to leave. I love that. It's because it's Christian, Roman Catholic. Uh, there might be a time when they can't operate that way. And that would not be justice. One of the highest priorities, I think, of elected officials should be truth-telling. If you can't tell the truth, I think you should lose your job. That would be justice. The right ordering of society. We'll probably never see that happen. (laughs) Not until Jesus comes. We need justice. I used to think it was not that important. It's vital. The right ordering of society. Notice the servant's character and method of operation. So he will bring justice. Verse 2. Notice his character and his method of operation. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. In other words, he will be quiet and he will be humble. Jesus' ministry was a quiet ministry. It was not easy to see that he was the Son of God because he was quiet. When there was a transfiguration, he was with how many disciples? That was a question. How many disciples were with him at the transfiguration? Three, okay common Christian knowledge every Christian should know when he raised the little girl from the dead how many disciples were in the room with him that was another question three okay when he calmed the storm that's a huge miracle right in the middle of a storm and he says peace be still and the storm stops how many people saw that 12, okay, this is a quiet ministry, right? He is not coming and flashing in front of huge crowds. He's not calling down lightning and destroying people that say anything against him. Quiet and very humble. In fact, Matthew quotes this passage to, to explain why Jesus tells people, don't tell people who I am. He says that often. He heals them and says, don't tell people who I am. Why? Because he is quiet and he is humble. I don't think Jesus would shout with a megaphone on the street corner. Right? We have that in our town. I don't think Jesus would do that. Berating people to listen to him. Never his method of ministry. Notice also his method. He operates gently and is kind. Verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. The bruised reed is a broken piece of grass that is barely hanging on. And when Jesus passes by, he is so careful that that broken piece of grass does not get nudged by him. And when there is that wick that is barely lit, and Jesus goes by it, he goes by so carefully that the flame does not, does not waver and go out. That's poetry. For he is very careful and gentle and kind with people. We went backpacking for a week. And the last thing that I bought, well, first of all, I tried to buy bear repellent. And then I found out that bear repellent was $50. And I said, we'll risk it. (laughs) For 50 bucks, we're going to risk it. If it was 20, my life is worth 20 bucks. It's not worth 50. The last thing we bought was a lighter. To light fires, that would be the easiest way to do it. It worked for one day. <laughs> I don't know why it stopped working. Lighters are cheap, anyways. I don't know why it stopped working. Maybe maybe it got wet or the flint got wet or whatever. Good thing we had fireproof matches. But even with the fireproof matches, sometimes it was hard to light a fire. My daughter couldn't do it. She could build a fire. She could keep it going. She could not light the fire. And uh, so I always had to do it. But it was difficult because the match would burn out so quickly because they were, even though they were waterproof, they were waterlogged and they were wet. So you had about uh, a second worth of flame to catch something on fire. Now we, we did it every time. You had to be very careful to get that flame going. Once it's going for a minute, you're set. But that, that, that beginning, it's so, you've got to be so cautious. That's the image here. And it's a picture of how gentle Jesus is with people. He is so careful with people. The woman caught in adultery could have been wiped out. Oh, Jesus is so gentle. The woman who stole his power and touched him when he was unaware could have, could have abused her, but he did not. The Roman commander who had a sick child, Jesus was so uh, encouraging. The prostitutes and tax collectors that Jesus ate with loved being with him and loved spending time in his presence because he was so gentle and so kind. And so, of course, Jesus says, come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Great promise. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But notice he has faithful determination. He will not give up. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged. The bruised wick he won't put out, but he himself, he will not falter. He will stick at it. He will keep going. Till he establishes justice on earth. And in his teaching, the islands put their hope. The islands are the farthest places away. We are seeing that fulfilled. As around the world, people give their lives to Jesus and follow his teaching. Just this week, my daughter my daughter said to me, we're talking about Korea. She had had a number of Korean friends. and She said, I think South Korea is the most Christian nation in the world. I said, actually, I don't think it is. There are places in Africa that are 80% Christian. And even a place like Ethiopia although it's nominal Christian, would be over 90% nominal Christian. Ancient church. Places all around the world, people are giving their lives to Christ and following him. This prophecy is being fulfilled in front of our eyes. Of course, it's not time to give up with the cause of mission. Um, Great to have Frank Rowe here today. Frank Rowe is from Crossroad, Crossroad Ministries, Cross, Cross World Ministries, uh, Mission Organization. He is uh, representative or the president, <laughs> director of mobilization. I didn't get either one right. Uh, it's great to have you here today, Frank. Uh, this is a passage about missions. Um, notice verse one: He will bring justice to the nations. Verse 4, in his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Great. Verse 6, he will be a covenant for the people, maybe Jews, and a light for the Gentiles. Everybody who's not a Jew, that's me and you. Uh, Notice verses 5 through 7. The Lord promises empowerment to the servant. The Lord promises empowerment. Verse 5. This is what God the Lord says. The creator of the heaven who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. Verse 5 kind of tells us what kind of ability and power this God has. Creator of the heavens who stretches them out. The Hebrew word there is a word for like putting up a tent. Um, my daughter wants me to tell you this, that after we did our hike every day, I was usually too tired to move for an hour. And she put up the tent by herself two or three times. Now, I told her it's because I carried more weight in my pack. She doesn't think that's a good enough reason. But God is a creator, and he spreads out the heavens like we would set up a tent. And it takes us five minutes to set up a tent. And that's kind of like how easy it is for him to spread out the heavens like we pitch a tent. One hundred billion trillion stars. It's a big number. One hundred billion trillion stars. He spreads out the earth with all that springs from it. You don't have to look at the heavens to see these vast numbers. I saw a couple of articles this week about bacteria. The number of bacteria in the world is 5 million trillion trillion. 5 million trillion trillion. It's a number so big you can't even conceive of it. A five with 30 zeros after it. Way more bacteria on our planet than there are stars in the universe. In fact, I think, I think every single human being has a trillion bacteria in them. A trillion. It's staggering. So not only does he create the heavens, but what is on the earth and all the little things here on the earth, he is also the creator of all of that staggering in his power, his ability, and his knowledge. A few weeks ago, I was reading about space travel. It was in, I forget what newspaper it was in, about a Canadian astronaut. It might have been Chris Hadfield. It might have been someone else. I couldn't remember it because this was so staggering to me that when you go to space, your first day in space, you begin to urinate out your bones your body figures it doesn't need the bone mass anymore, and you begin to urinate out calcium. And your body, your body actually takes the calcium from your bones, and you get rid of it. And so astronauts have to take calcium supplements, but even that's not enough. You can't put the calcium back in your bones fast enough as it's coming out. And so after they spend a number of weeks or months in space... When they get out here on the planet, they can't even walk. They can't even hold themselves up. And then it takes months to recover the bone loss. Uh, We think we're so great as human beings, and yet we can barely handle space for a few months, and our body starts to get rid of our bones. God is not like that. He is great and over it all, created it, the heavens, created the earth. That's, 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 who, that's, who, that's, who, that's who has the power here that is putting his hand on his servant. So verse 5, his ability, verse 6, I the Lord have called you in righteousness, I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you. Why is it going to succeed? Because God is involved in this and he's got his hand on his servant and the servant will be successful. Do you want to know what's going to happen to the world? Do you want to know what's going to happen to mankind? God tells you. He's going to make it happen. Do you want to know what's going to happen to the Church of Jesus Christ? It's going to succeed. Why? Because God's going to make it happen. And he's going to make the, the mission of Jesus Christ successful. You and I should be encouraged about that. Sometimes we get discouraged. We get discouraged looking at the, paltry, the paltriness of the church in today's world. We get discouraged as we see ministers abandoning their calling. We, see, we get discouraged as people give up their faith. We don't have to be discouraged. The mission of Jesus will succeed, and it will continue. Why? Because the power of God and the hand of God is on it. Thank you, Sam. I don't want to get too excited. Notice what he's going to make happen. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people. A covenant for the people. Jesus is that covenant. Our relationship between God and ourselves is secure because Jesus has given us a new covenant. He does that through his blood on the cross. Establishes a new covenant between God and man. And we are the recipients and benefits of that, beneficiaries of that. A light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind. Not only does he do that literally. He does it figuratively. Through the good news. Free captives from prison until release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Salvation will succeed. People will come to Christ. And the hand of God is going to make that happen. Through his servant Jesus. Finally, the the Lord announces his own glory. Verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. You have heard uh, the Westminster Confession before which says this, The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. John Piper adds a little bit to that when he says we glorify God by enjoying Him. And the chief end of God is somewhat similar. The chief end of God is to glorify God and to enjoy Himself forever. Let me say that again. The chief end of God is to glorify God and to enjoy Himself forever. Sometimes as human beings we're upset that the chief end of God is not the maximum happiness of all human beings. No, we find our greatest happiness when we find our joy in God. The chief end of God is to glorify God and to enjoy himself forever. And that's God's main mission. That's God's main purpose on the earth. And so when he sends his servant into the world, He is going to glorify his servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. And his servant, Jesus Christ, is going to glorify him, the Father. And that's what you see in the life of Jesus Christ. Everything Jesus does is to glorify the Father. And what the Father does is glorify the Son. And that glory is best pictured on the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the greatness of God. The invisible God that we cannot see, his greatness is best seen on the cross because that shows you his love and his justice and his mercy, his forgiveness and his grace in a tangible, real way better than anything else. And so he glorifies himself at the cross. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. The former things have taken place, new things I declare to you before they spring into being, I announce them to you. In the prophet Isaiah, one of the major ways that God shows that he is God, there is no one else like him, is that he predicts the future. And Isaiah is a phenomenal book, written in 700. And he writes about an exile that is to come. That exile occurs in 600. And he writes about the return from the exile that occurs at 530 and he writes about how that return from the exile will occur through Cyrus and he mentions Cyrus by name astounding prophecies but then he doesn't just prophesy about that he prophesies about Jesus Christ that he will be born of a virgin and that he will bear our sins that God will in his pleasure cause his servant to suffer tremendous promise And then he promises there will be a new heaven and a new earth. That's the book of Isaiah. He is God. There's no one else like him because he can tell the future what is going to happen. Well, what does this mean for you and I today? Number one, Jesus Christ is this servant accomplishing God's plans. We need to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. That's number one. Number two. You see, part of God's plan is to bring justice to the nations. The good news to the nations. That's also our role today. He said, all authority has been given unto me. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them and teaching them. This afternoon at 5 o'clock, we will baptize two young women, two young girls, because we believe this is our mission still today. To make disciples of Jesus, we do that by baptizing and by teaching people to observe everything Jesus commands us. Let's put it into practice. Let's close in prayer.